hello and welcome to what we're hoping is the first of many 905er podcasts, uh, a new podcast for the for the 905 region in Ontario, uh, in the Greater Toronto area, uh, specifically aimed at the uh, areas outside central Toronto. Uh, my name is Roland Tanner, and I'm here with my co-host, Joel McLeod. And we're going to give you today a, a quick introduction to what we're hoping to do with this podcast, why, why we're starting it, and what we hope it will become in the weeks and months to come. So first of all, we'll start off with some introductions. Um, my name is Roland Tanner, as I said, um, uh, uh, based in Burlington. And uh, over the last decade or so, uh, myself uh, and also uh, Joel have been induced, uh, been involved in our local community, uh, sometimes in politics and party politics, sometimes in, in volunteering. Uh, we've both run for office at various points. Uh, we're both probably not going to do so again. I don't know. <laughs> um, and... Uh, um, We've uh, seen a need, I guess, for 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 a uh, a new media entity of some kind in, in the uh, in the nine oh five region. So, uh, Joel, do you want to give a, a quick uh, introduction yourself and your background? Sure, I I will do my best. Um, as you said, Roland, I I worked. Uh, I've worked in politics and uh, in opening small businesses of my own uh, in the area. Uh, you and I have been involved in uh, numerous uh, uh, campaigns uh, at the federal, provincial, and municipal levels here in the uh, in the 905 area. And we, I think, you and I both share a good a passion for the region and and for the area. We've noticed over the last, I'm going to say. 10 years, just a, a kind of a steady decline of, of media entities and, and media awareness of some of the issues uh, that have been going on in the, in the region. And at the same time, uh, the, some in that, in that void, uh, some real issues have arisen that are not being addressed. And there's debates that we think are, that should be happening uh, that are not happening in any public forum. And I think that's, something that you and I uh, were hoping to address with uh, starting with this podcast and ha hopefully with our listeners uh, involvement and their passion as well. Hopefully we can grow this into uh, something a little bit more, more robust and meaningful to, uh, to people's lives. Yeah, absolutely. And, and it's really, uh, you know, uh, we live in a, in a region of, of 4 million people or so uh, when you, when you take Toronto proper out of the equation uh, that is growing at a very fast rate. Uh, it's you know this is the fastest growing region in uh, Canada in terms of population. Uh, it's the economic powerhouse of the country. It's uh, it's a part of the country that that very much decides elections more and more often, uh, both at a uh, provincial and, and federal level. Um, and yet, what we have Absolutely. is a uh, you know the the, the general retreat of traditional media of, of the old kind of local newspapers and regional newspapers uh, has left our whole region almost completely without serious coverage um uh you know with without wanting to throw <laughs> the, the local newspapers under the bus too much they're struggling and, and i think that's the nicest way you can put it uh, to to provide more than really uh superficial coverage of what, what's happening in our city halls, uh, the important issues that are happening in our communities. Well, I, I, think, I think I can I remember can, uh, back in the day, uh, there used to be a, quite a robust media uh, environment here in the 905, especially here in Burlington. Because uh, I, I can remember as a young grade school uh, elementary student, uh, my after-school job was delivering the Burlington Spectator, uh, and over the years that uh, went defunct. Um, the Hamilton Spectator lost more and more of its coverage of uh, Burlington, and, and it and rightfully so started focusing more more on uh, Hamilton-specific issues. But uh, 
we saw a centralization. The Burlington Post, the Oakville uh, Beaver, and the Milton Champion are all owned by Torstar, and they all run pretty much the same articles, run by written by the same uh, journalists. Um, and I mean, it all comes down to money. There's just the, no nobody's investing the the resources and the interest uh, into some of the stories that are, that need to be told in in this region. And uh, you and I have both commented numerous times of just where's the debate on things like uh, development? Where's the debate on uh, economic development, uh, business interests? Uh, the the politicians in our region often get away uh, with without proper scrutiny because there's nobody to hold them to account. They stand to the microphone, they decree their decisions, but some of us to say, well, we have questions. Uh, those questions aren't being asked. And I think you and I both agree it's time for that to change. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, it, it's it's dangerous when there's no proper media oversight of, of the decisions that are being made by politicians. And it's also, it's also dangerous because into the kind of vacuum comes bad information. Um, uh, and that can lead to, I mean, again, this is a process certainly seeing worldwide right now not just in, in our little corner of it uh but of polarization of, no, of, sadly, uh, yes. you know, um and, and you know if we can contribute in a, in a small way to to countering that trying to get some informed and reasonably intelligent uh discussion of of, of what's happening out there then mm-hmm. hopefully that will be mm-hmm. both interesting and entertaining a little bit educational and and um and contribute something to our communities i, I was just going to say that I, I think we what we're when we were discussing this we were talking about how we wanted to kind of reach out beyond the same the same voices that were constantly being heard um because you and i both we, we know we've talked that it's the 905 is becoming a very diverse um, region. There's a lot of uh, divisions uh, economically, uh, culturally uh, uh, happening in the in the region. And with that, become I don't think it's a, a matter of, of friction, but it's uh, it's a source to draw upon that there are new perspectives that we think uh, need to have a turn at the microphone and need to have a, a say in contributing to the debates on on how this this region of not just the province, but the country uh, is going to develop over the next generation or so. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's so, such an important point to make that this is one of the most diverse regions in Canada, probably the most diverse uh, in, in Canada from, from all perspectives, you know, from, from, from the ethnic and religious perspective, um, from the, from different income groups, from the, from the very comfortable and wealthy to People who've, who've just arrived in the country who may be coming from, you know, as say during the recent uh, Syrian refugee uh, crisis, or come to our country with, with literally almost nothing, um, uh, and and this this is the you know this is really uh, the future of Canada is really here you know in in our region it's. Uh, uh, and it's important that we get beyond. <laughs> we say this as two two white guys sitting in our basements. Uh, it's really important <laughs> that we get beyond just the usual the usual suspects kind of uh, commenting on things. But uh, uh, although we can't change who Absolutely. we are, we can we can hopefully change um, uh, bring many other voices into the conversation in the weeks and months to come. Yeah, so that that's kind of the objective. Um, and as I say, we're uh, Joel and myself are both uh, based in Burlington, which is um, so. It, it may well be that there's a early emphasis on things happening in the Burlington and Halton region, but uh, in time, we hope this will become uh, uh, a podcast that will kind of grow as more and more people contribute, as uh, as as more and pe- more and more people listen, to become more. Uh, properly representative of, of the region as a whole and the, and the shared issues that are going on. And you mentioned the, the development issue, for instance. There was a, someone forwarded, forwarded me an article today uh, from, oh, it's from the Spe- Hamilton Spectator about um, suggesting there should be a, um, a, a LRT um, in, in Burlington as, as a way of kind of 
refocusing development away from from the downtown area, which has been a great caused a great deal of controversy in recent years. Um, this is really, you know, f speaking just from Burlington's point of view, but but I know from other cities as well. This is an overwhelmingly hot button issue uh, in our region. Um, we saw it at the last election in 2018. We were both involved that um, municipal elections are usually not considered particularly interesting. You know, it used to be in the past, certainly in Burlington, that, that, that many councillors were elected by acclamation. Um, once you got elected, it was difficult to get unelected <laughs> without really trying hard. To yeah, but I think that's changed in the, few, in the last few years. Uh, I, I think it's, it's, I mean, we, we have in the last here in Burlington and I'm going to, I'm going to include Hamilton as well. I think in the last few elections, we've seen turnovers. Um, there's been, uh, the, the people are willing to give you a shot. If you want to come in and say, no, things need to change and people will only give you a shot. Um, but if people don't like you, they're, they're becoming a lot more active and, uh, I, I think that trend's ending. Um, I think that, I think, and it's a good thing. I think now if you're a city councillor or a mayor uh, in, at least in Burlington or in Hamilton, if you are not cutting it uh, according to what the people want or the people think they, that they want, um, you're, you're turfed after your, your term is up, um, which is a good, it's a good thing to have. Um, I like, I like seeing that bit of accountability brought back. Uh, and keep our councillors and our mayors on our toe on their toes. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, it, it, it's yeah. The, the the situation as it used to be was not good, um, and it's got to be healthier. That people are now paying attention closely enough that that we are seeing almost whole councils uh, turfed <laughs> on occasions. Uh, I mean, again, using Burlington as an example, yet again. Um, Partly that was down to retirements and, and people decided not to run again at the last election. But I think some of those retirements happened because people saw the way the wind was blowing and that uh, it was not going to be an election according to the old well, rules. That, yeah, I mean, that, well, that's just, I'll be honest, that's a sign of cowardice. I mean, if you're not willing to put your record on the line when you run, um, and I, I don't think you, you want to be there in the, for the right reasons in the first place. Um it, it does. I mean, that's just the the facts of of politics. You run on your record, and you you want you should want to get reelected unless you're looking at retirement or you've. I think you've accomplished what you wanted to do. Uh, but I, th I think you're we're seeing is that people are getting elected on change tickets. But the problem is, change is a lot more. It, it's it's a lot harder to define, and it's easier to be upset with somebody. And say, well, we we want to give somebody else a shot. Okay, great, but getting elected on a ticket of well, we want to change the, the status quo isn't good enough. Uh, I, I think we're coming more and more of we need a you need a vision. You need to present. I'm gonna. This is what I want to see our community community look like. Uh, do you agree with it? Because, uh, and I, I think especially now in the, with COVID nineteen, there's a lot of questions happening about urban development about how do we get away from the car centric uh urban planner model which let's face it i mean the 905 was built on that concept that that idea of a suburban sprawling landscape of strip malls and parking lots uh and you know bungalow single family housing and that has to go the way the dinosaur i think uh we're seeing just we're, we, if we want to protect our, the green belt uh, and the questions about uh, uh, the environment and, and being sustainable, uh, we need to rethink the idea of what the 905 was built on of this kind of sprawl. You know, we can just keep building out. We'll just keep building. There's always another field we can pave over to make a strip mall or a new housing development or whatever have you. Uh, and we need to start thinking more in terms of uh, – I'm not going to make the argument of, oh, we just need to start building up. I think we need to start building more innovatively and start thinking outside the box in terms of how do we use the space that we have. 
and that's a, that's the challenge that I think our elected officials are going to have to step forward and and debate and and wrestle with uh, uh, in the years and uh, terms ahead. And I think, I mean, it, the that again, a really important point. Um, the in the vacuum of a media, the debate gets reduced to such a a, a basic level of for or against something um, when we need to be having discussions that are much more uh, intelligent and much more based on, on kind of a shared understanding of, of facts. You know, what powers do a council and a mayor actually have? We, we, I think most people would probably say they, they assume they're electing, you know, the prime minister for the city, if you like, and, and the, uh, the mayor right. and that council have a, a, the, the ability to set an agenda. Actually, that's not how our, our system works. Maybe it should work that way, but it doesn't. Um, so people running for office saying, I'm going to change everything and I'm going to fix everything overnight are kind of sometimes not entirely uh, being uh, generous with truth. <laughs> uh, I mean, it would, to my mind, it'd be a lot more honest to say, elect me. And I'm going to do what I, I I'm going to do what's possible, but I'm also going to campaign for a change in the way that that, that municipal government operates, so that what you vote for has a chance of actually happening. I guess the problem I, I have with have with it is building that consensus. Uh, I mean, you and I have talked in the last uh, municipal election. There was a lot of. Uh, and here in Burlington, as well as in Hamilton, there is this hunger for change. Um, the The fact is that our communities, I think, are hitting a crossroads in terms of how do we want to look. Uh, here in Burlington, there's the 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 movement of we want to keep things the way that, that it was. We like the small town feel, the small town feel in the big city kind of mentality. Uh, in in Hamilton, there's talk of the LRT. Uh, to revitalize their downtown core, and that's you know it's a you know do we what's the price of modernity? What, what's the price of going uh, presenting a new a new phase? And I think the problem is when when we present those arguments in a binary, yay or nay, in favor or against argument, we lose a lot of the, the nuance in between. Is that I don't I don't think we have to lose the small town feel, but I also don't think the status quo is going to serve us well in the, you know, by the end of this generation. And I, I've always wondered like in this current COVID age, why, why wouldn't we turn like our downtowns into more walking plazas, especially in this, this warm weather to say, let's, you know, let's encourage more biking, more, more pedestrian walkways, not just patios for, for restaurants to set up, but why wouldn't we shut down, all of downtown streets and allow real, you know, allow for public space to go to eat, uh, socialize, be sociable, but in a safe manner and a chance for a really, a really kind of innovative project to experiment and see like, can this work? If it doesn't, it doesn't. You just, you lift up the barricades. We go back to normal. Okay. It didn't work, but now's the perfect time to try it out. Yeah. You know, it's a perfect time to show some innovation and take the risk and say, hey, is this going to work? Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. But, you know, why not? And the, the irony is, I mean, if you take, so uh, uh, for anybody who's listening for, from beyond Burlington, uh, Burlington's last election was, was a real humdinger of uh, between, in essence, between the person who became our new mayor, Marianne Mead Ward, uh, who's formerly a councillor, and the former mayor, uh, Rick Goldring. What you just described, I don't think either of them would disagree with. I think both of them would say, yeah, that's the, absolutely the objective, um, to have walkable, attractive communities to reduce uh, reliance on cars. How we're getting there, though, is is a huge problem. Um, and, and a lot of that, I, I feel, I mean, this is, these are all things for dis- discussion in future weeks, but a lot of those things go basically back to the provincial level uh, and uh, the, you know, the, the almost dishonesty of, of the council's position of pretending that it actually has much influence over our downtowns when, when the, the framework that's put in place provincially is so 
uh, strong that the councils run into major problems actually just saying, you know, we'd like this here. Um, that's, again, that's that's kind of what we feel as citizens maybe should be the way things work. You know, we pl have a plan and then it what the plan is built. What happens is developers say, we'd like to build this and then the various levels of government decide yay or nay on an individual basis. So there is no plan. There are aspirations that are set out by municipalities, but there's no plan until developers say what they want to build and the landowners say what they want to build. So it's, it's so frustrating. I see, like, that's, just, that's a case where I think a more thing, there are more, it is frustrating that, that model. I think what we need is a more collaborative approach of, um, more collaborative and less adverse adversarial that like right now, you know, the, the we have a, a moratorium on, on construction in the downtown area here in Burlington, which I think has led to, um, I mean, there's lawsuits filed against the Burlington, uh, this Burlington city council, uh, by numerous developers, which whether they'll win, win or not, I don't know. I'm not, a, I'm not a legal expert, but I'm thinking this is kind of wasted time. Like wouldn't that make, at some point, no matter what you're doing, you're going to need a developer to come in and build either whether it's going to be a new building or a new facility or a new neighborhood or whatever have you. You're going to need somebody to come in and build it. Why Why pick a fight with them? Would it make more sense to say, listen, let's, let's figure out what can be done to make a more livable city? And I, I find my frustration with a lot of these debates so far has been... Um, a lot of argument about what we don't want and there's no discussion about what do we want. And that, I mean, that's a harder discussion to have. It's, e it's easier to say, Hey, we want to put up a high rise at this on, on this intersection. And okay. How many people show up to say no at the city council meeting? Okay. I get to play hero. I vote it down. But at the end, end of the day, something's got to be built there or, or we need to do something with the space or the idea we have to do something with the downtown because buildings age and, and populations change. And what are we going to do with it? And I find that that's a, that's a harder debate to have, a harder discussion to have. We, the, we aren't having that discussion, at least not at our city council level. Um, and I think that's what you and I wanted to do is just maybe have that discussion and maybe we'll have a, a bit of a, it, it might get testy, but I mean, I, I think that's an important one to have is exactly what do we want our communities to look like? Not to mention, as you were saying, going back to the provincial level, this ties into our previous argument about how important our region is to the the, the politics of the province as well as the country, uh, because th we have so much, so many seats here in the 905. And again, not just Hamilton and Burlington, but we're talking down in Niagara, Halton region, Mississauga, Brampton, north of Toronto, where you have uh, Richmond Hill, Vaughan, Markham, Durham, and Oshawa, all playing an integral part. And I think, a, a part, what if, what if that region decided no? We we want a better say. We want to say in how, in the the policies that the province is going to are going to develop, going to pass, and we want to we want a more important say in terms of how our communities are. Are developed. What would that do for the rest of the country? What, what kind of precedent would that say? And that goes to the heart of the kind of democratic the question of democracy in the sort of first half of the twenty first century. You know that that we're. I mean, this is a, such a huge topic, but um, it, it feels like. Our, well, we have we have more episodes to get into. This. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it feels like we don't really participate in the big decisions. You know, we, we, we get to vote, but we don't. Why is it in this day and age uh, that we cannot have more elaborate uh, systems of public participation in decision making that, that go beyond Turning and shout, turning up and shouting at a public meeting, or going along and delegating at city hall, or writing a nasty letter to your MPP or MP, um, those are all terrible tools of, for public engagement. And, and you know, and this word engagement gets bandied around. And I, I had it on my lawn signs, and about five other people did too. 
and it's like I don't think most people have the foggiest notion what the word engagement means. Uh, and to, to me, it means reshaping democracy in, in a much more fundamental way, that, that democracy is something that happens every day of the week uh, and not um, once every four years, um, and that public participation right, isn't about right. filling in a questionnaire. It's not about... Um, it's you know the, these kind of tools are all used to that 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 are, are so ineffectual and so superficial very often when you know we should be shaping hand in hand with the developers hand in hand with the politicians what our communities look like and there's no reason in this day and age why that can't happen um, but we have systems that just create uh, polarization and I don't think. And ultimately, I'm not going to blame any politician or any developer or anybody for that. It's the it's the procedures and the systems uh, that we have put in place over generations that I feel are most to blame. Uh, well, I think it, I think it comes down to the age-old uh, uh, adage of democracy: is that you know, what did the people want? And again, uh, kind of rehashing the the context of this introductory uh podcast is that debate isn't happening P the politicians don't know i think what the debate is looking like what do people want what where's the nuance instead again it comes down to a yes or no yay or nay are you with me or against me choice and it's very easy for politicians with agendas to prey on that to uh you know come in and say, uh, I'm going to give this block of people what they want and the people who don't want it while well, they are uh, antithetical or, or harmful to our way of life in our community. And it, that doesn't, that doesn't help us uh, in the long run. We need, we need a bit, we need a more collaborative and a more thoughtful approach to these debates. And I think honestly to, to inform people about what the, uh, what the real status or what the what the real potential could be, what the real choices in front of them could be, and then hopefully, yeah, the, the politicians can take that and put apply that to their thinking, and then hold to them hold them to account for whatever decision they do do decide on. Um, but it's a it's not a you're right it's not a, it's not a every four years let's have a debate on it. It's a it's a discussion that needs to be happening occasionally and, and every now and again to to keep that fire alive. Yeah. And I just think we're at the start. This has to happen if we're going to restore public faith in democracy at every level. And I'm a big believer. Uh, for those people who don't know me, they can tell from my accent. I wasn't born around here. <laughs> uh, I, I lived in... <laughs> well, this is news to me. I lived in Scotland for 10 years at the time when, when devolution was happening and devolution was the, the restoration of a parliament in Scotland after a 300-year break. And it was a powerful... It really brought home how, how democracy can tangibly feel present on the streets when it wasn't there before and suddenly it's there. And suddenly when you're walking down the street and a politician who used to only be... You'd only ever possibly see 400 miles away is now walking down your street and you can kind of, you know, walk up to them and <laughs> tell them what you think of them. And that parliament had a, uh, in some ways it's a traditional parliament. In other ways, it had a lot of innovative features. It, it wasn't first past the post. Um, it, um, just the very physical nature of the building that it's held in changes the nature of the debate in a lot of ways. And it's like you felt, the change from a a situation where democracy wasn't satisfying the population to a situation where you know there's still politicians they're still going to piss you off um but um it felt so much more immediate and present and connected to to uh to where you lived i think that has to happen everywhere it's like get get the power get the decision making to the lowest level that you can for any given decision um, a decision about downtown Burlington, to my mind, is best made in Burlington and not in Queen's Park. Uh, a decision about the economy in Ontario is best made in Ontario and not in uh, uh, not Ottawa. Same thing. You put the decisions at the right levels. And I, I feel 
the way government has worked over, for hundreds of years is to to take power away from the bottom and move it upwards, and, and that's ultimately what we need to address. Well, it's, again, it goes back to that collaborative approach of, and it, it you know, it's not getting away from oh, well, the cities are have to go to war with Toronto, uh, and by Toronto I mean like the provincial government to get power, and then the the province has to go to Ottawa uh, to. Uh, get their rights. And it says, well, if we're spending all this time fighting with each other over who, who gets to sign where on the dotted line, uh, you know, we kind of waste time instead of deciding, well, we all, what do we want? Well, we all have, want to live in a really great community. And what, what will that look like? Well, that's a, that's the discussion that should be happening, not the argument over, well, I need taxation powers and I need, uh, rights to do this, that, and they say, well, yeah, but at the end of the day, what are we going to do with it? What What is it that we want to accomplish? And rather than fight over who gets to s- sit where at the table, why don't we just work on getting the job done? Well, that's a nice idea. So, well, let's hope we can uh, contribute something to the debates that might bring some more innovative uh, decision-making to uh, our region, at least. Um, and we should stress at this point that, that these podcasts are not just going to be Joel and me talking uh, like this for, for hours on end. Um, we're going to be uh, aiming to have yeah. guests every week. Um, sometimes that might be more of a roundtable kind of debate with, with people from across the region. Sometimes that will be people who are in the news. Um, obviously, at the moment, for instance, an important one is is the preparations that are happening right now for... Uh, the return to some kind of normality in the, in the school boards in terms of students actually going into schools uh, and how that's going to be handled. A really difficult subject and not sh- one I'm sure that, that the province is uh, dealing with particularly well. So that, that's a subject we're going to be dealing with and one that you're quite familiar with. Yes, it's, it's I think it's, I think it's the number one topic on not just everyone in our region's mind, but everyone in the country uh, is how do we go back to school with, with this pandemic still very much a part of our lives. And I think like it's, it's a perfect example of how this pandemic has turned all of our thinking up on our, on its, on our heads. Uh, Because if you think of it, like our schools are built to be social inclusion factories um they're meant to be uh places that our our children go to uh to learn how to get along with other people how to work with other everyone and and become members of society that that is kind of the underlying assumption of our education system uh and this this virus says no that that doesn't that's not going to work you know that, that that in itself has become a hazard and it's a uh, i've put made the in private conversations with other people, I've, I've made the comparison of, I think it's our, like, it's like our Apollo 13 moment. It's this looming deadline that is not flexible. It's not going to uh, change. There's no negotiating with it. It's happening. It's coming down our way. And, you know, where, where are our NASA guys in a room coming up with the plan? Like, where, where's the, where's the, the coming up with a new, new way to tackle the problem? And, Personally, I don't see it. Um, I know that next, at the time of this podcast, next week or the week following, there's supposed to be an announcement from the Minister of Education, Stephen Lecce, on how schools are going to go back uh, or how our children are going to go back to schools. I don't know what he's, I have no clue what he's going to be talking about. I know here in Halton, the Halton District School Board had a, a discussion and a debate and they are planning to want to send kids back five days a week, uh, obviously with changes to make that uh, environment as safe as possible. Uh, and the Halton Catholic uh, is trying to figure that out. Um, I think they're stumbling a bit to find the right path forward, but I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt because uh, this is lit- literally uncharted waters. And we're hearing that from all the other boards in the provinces. They're sitting on a, you know, we think we got a plan. We'll see what happens, but it's just, it's turning into the Swiss cheese uh, hodgepodge plan 
of getting our kids back to school. And it's a, whether it'll succeed or fail is, I mean, the history books will, will let us know. But I, I, I know from talking with, I have kids in the system and talking with other parents, there's a lot of fear. There's a lot of concern. There are a lot of questions uh, that are being uh, thrown around and asked, and there's not a lot of answers. And uh, does that that deadline's coming? And people are start, people are expecting. We need answers. We need to know how is this going to work. And so I, I mean, I, I'm hoping to talk. I hope that we can get people from the school boards on uh, in the coming weeks to have that have a discussion, not not confrontational. I don't I don't think picking a fight or, or throwing accusations around is really helpful at this point. But I think we need to understand exactly the mont the the challenge that is presented to them and what possible solutions are on the table and how, how do we, how do we address this? It's a, it's a big question that I don't think that I think is on everybody's yeah. mind. Well, hopefully we can get some, uh, some, some people from, from the school boards to comment on exactly that. Uh, certainly I think everybody just has a huge number of questions, uh, particularly those people who are parents, <laughs> uh, but also it's like, well, we, the question I have is like, well, the disease is still out there, you know. But anyway, these are questions for future episodes, um, and that's certainly just just one of the ones we're hoping to feature in the weeks ahead. There's certainly no shortage of topics, I think, as, as we've probably established or, already today. Uh, and the big story uh, in recent weeks, well, last week, I guess, was which is a bizarre thing for an episode one of, uh, of, of a Horton region podcast to discuss, but apparently we have a, a Nazi war memorial in, in, uh, in Oakville. Who knew? <laughs> yes. Um, I, I, apparently it's been, it's been there for decades and yeah, nobody knew until an, a journalist in the Ottawa citizen pointed it out and, it's uh it rightfully so has gotten a lot of attention. I think zero of it has been positive. It's all been negative, uh, and it's even gone international. Um, you yourself found a, a, an article in the Guardian, the the UK paper, highlighting this story. And I think this is just a. I mean, we can get into the uh, the nitty gritty about what the division stood for and it, did they or did they not. But I think at the end of the day, the fact is they were an SS division like these are not like your regular vault grunt conscripts these are people who volunteered to join the top nazi division fighting on the front lines in the second world war and i I just i i have a hard time letting that go and saying okay well you know the the nitty-gritty details I, i i think it's a it's a in a country that went to war against these people and we know the the atrocities that the ss did I think it can't. I think it just cannot stand uh, in this region to allow this to stand. Uh, I, I just. I. I can't wrap. I can't put. I can't. I can't let, let this one go. Is yeah. It boggles my mind. Two sides to, to the to the story. Um, first was was the kind of final element in, in a bad week for um, the Holton uh, Police Service uh, in that they kind of had three rather suspect sort of decisions during the week. I mean, first of all, the, the chief of police, uh, my, my namesake, um, was it Steve, Ta- Steve Tanner, I think. Uh, anyway, surname's Tanner. <laughs> I think so, yes. Got into a kind of Twitter spat with, uh, with the leader of the NDP, uh, Jagmeet Singh, um, which, you know, fine, whatever. But uh, the second one was that there was vandalism of, a church sign and someone had broken into it and sh- rearranged the letters on the sign to read white power. Uh, and the police said they didn't see that that was a, a matter of, you know, a hate crime or anything like that. And then the vandalism of a monument to the Nazis and the vandalism said, I believe Nazi war monument, I think something like that. I think those were the words. That's right. Which to yep, my mind right. was, was, I'm not endorsing vandalism, but it was a simple statement of fact. <laughs> it is a Nazi war mo- monument. They initially investigated as as a uh, hate crime. Uh, again, obviously not against Nazis, but against, uh, I presume, the Ukrainian population. 
just seemed like really kind of cack-handed handling of, 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 of a number of stories. Uh, they, they rolled that back, but as you said, not before they they managed to uh, attract the attention of the international media, uh, which I think counts in anybody's book as, as a bad day at the office if you're if you're the media relations person for the police board. <laughs> but then the, the issue of, of the monument itself, which is which is kind of astonishing. Now, I mean, we should should emphasize if you go and see this this monument, well, it's not obvious to anybody that it's. Uh, Connected with with no, there's no, there's nothing there's no like swastikas or, or anything like that on it. It's it's a it looks like a nondescript uh, cenotaph in a Ukrainian community uh, cemetery. Uh, the only identifying uh, factor, though, to it is that it is part of it is explicitly honoring members fallen members of an SS division whose members were comprised of Ukrainian volunteers. Uh, and they fought in the Eastern Front against uh, the Soviet-Russian forces in the Second World War, and therefore to certain members of the Ukrainian diaspora in, in Canada, they have a, a certain nationalistic appeal uh, to them. And I get that. I've had pe- I've, I've posted this on my website, and I've had people say, oh, it, you know, it's a... they." They were cleared by the uh, Canadian uh, government. Uh, they were they weren't charged with any official war crimes, et cetera, et cetera, yada yada yada. And I I get that, but at the same time, uh, it's a it's a monument to Nazis. It's a it's honoring people who chose to fight uh, in the Second World War again uh, on the side of the Nazis and as a I mean, my grandfather went drove tanks in the uh, Second World War uh, to kill the Nazis, and as did many other of the uh, listeners in our uh, that are hopefully listening right now, they had their their ancestors fought uh, and possibly even died fighting the Nazis. And I think it's a very insensitive, it's insensitive to say the least. I think it, in the long run, it can definitely turn into a iconography for neo-Nazi movements here in Canada. Uh, which is something I don't think we we want, and I think it's just the fact that uh, it, it's caused a lot of outrage. It's caused a lot of a lot more hurt in this uh, community community than uh, than I think on, honoring a vague nationalistic quality. Uh, it's it's caused more hurt hurt than harm, and it sh- I think it should be taken down. I think, yeah. I mean, I I find it very difficult to defend. Um, you know, the fact. If if it if it's honouring this division of of people who chose to join the most uh, notorious division of the German uh, military, uh, you know, associated with with sort of countless crimes against humanity, yeah, can you really defend that? And, and I mean, I actually reached out to a, to a friend who who is Jewish, as it happens, uh, and and her reaction was actually not what you might expect um and she came out with the point well like you know i guess it would be the she would be on the side of the people who were like you know leave the leave the all the statues of of civil war um southern civil war generals standing because it's history and and mm-hmm. to that my my answer to that i mean i take that point of view however I know. I my first career was as a historian, uh, and in all the years of my work as historian, none of us ever went to look at statues as historical sources. <laughs> um, you know, the they're not they're very bad history actually. They're they're there because they're they're there to suggest that this is something to be honoured uh, in the same way as a crucifix might be, or uh, you know, um, it, it's look up to this. Uh, you mortals and right, uh, right. and you know bow down before. That's what monuments are. Uh, so I, d- I don't ever feel that the you shouldn't be whitewashing history thing is a particularly good argument. As long as we don't forget. I mean the the thing the important thing in history is that we don't forget, um, and that we maintain the the account and the and the uh, uh, the evidence. Uh, it doesn't mean that 
have to keep this statue right. in this place um, uh, because you know because that kind of defends anything. It's like well, then you can say well, anything that's ever been put up by anybody is a historic artifact and has to be preserved. Well, obviously, it doesn't make sense. Well, it, I think it just goes to the the fact that it's. I, I think I think it just is based on that. It's a it's a monument to Nazis. Like I just I can't. I don't I don't see where the debate is. I just I don't I don't see a gray area here of, of you know oh geez you know like let's let's hear the other side. I'm like the other side are Nazis. Like that's what it comes down to is that the I have always said like there's no such thing as a good Nazi. And and I just I I'm a, I mean I understand it's it's a community trying to honor their national. Uh, pride but at the same time i'm like choose a different way i i i, I there's, there's got to be more heroes in your past to honor to to de to deify if you have to don't don't pick the guys who sided with the nazis it's a bad it's a bad bad hill to die on yeah yeah well i think i mean it's important to say uh we'd be very delighted to hear from anybody in the ukrainian community or to defend this monument and and give us a reason why why it uh it's justifiable and why it should remain there uh, i certainly think uh, st voldemir's uh church should be asked the question uh, you know and th this brings us back again to the point that our media is is no good at following through on stories uh, it might report a fact but no one's going to the church and say well should you really have this still? You know, um, uh, should it have been put there in the first place? Who put it in there in the first place? Who paid for it? Um, these are all valid questions that in a healthy media environment, I think, get asked. And, and you yeah, know, maybe there's some explanation. I, like you, I can't imagine what it would possibly be. But... I, I'm, drawing, I could, I'm drawing a blank in terms of what it could possibly be. I, I, think, I think in the light of the fact that it's come out and there's a lot of people who are who are hurt. There are people who of of Jewish descent, uh, uh, you know, uh, who are understandably horrified by this. Um, there are people who had family members who fought and died uh, on the Allied uh, side against the Nazis, and it's just it's and especially that this country fought against the Nazis. Uh, it's a it's a question that it's just I think it's caused t so much division and hurt that you might have to sit down and take a look in the mirror and say, okay, we intended something. It is clearly not uh, not registering, and we need to we need to take a look in the a cold look in the mirror and say, hey, is this uh, is this what we what we're comfortable with? Um, the one thing I, I was shocked at is how this attitude, the attitude of the general public of being hurt is prevalent. It's across the entire uh, country and across the free world uh, that this exists. And yet the leadership in Oakville, uh, the mayor and the city council seems to take a collective shrug and, you know, oh, it's on private land, can't do anything about it. We're moving on. And I find that to be a very uh, disappointing take from the city council. Uh, I understand it's on private land, but there's a, you know, where, where's the official motion uh, presented by city council to request that it be taken down? Where's the, the, where's the outrage? Uh, and just a, a passive statement posted to Twitter on the mayor's uh, Twitter account. I don't think really cuts it. I, I need, I want to see more anger and more action taken to say, no, this has to come down. This is not, we're, we're not a community that, that is going to quibble on this uh, on this matter, and I like again. I'd like to I'd like to hear I'd like to hear more people discuss this. I, I want I don't think this is a conversation that should die off, which often too happens in this the the media void that we have here in the nine hundred five. That something like this is clearly causing a lot of division. It's caused a lot of anger, and unfortunately, the, the news comes and then all of a sudden it just it'll disappear. And I think this is a conversation that needs to happen is that, are we comfortable with this yeah, yeah. being allowed to happen? Uh, the, the question that I've always wondered is, what's to stop, what's to stop something from, from, you know, lighting crosses on, uh, on a farmland in, uh, up north? 
like this is this has, this is a conversation that needs to happen. Yeah, and I certainly don't. I don't reach. feel that the argument "where's private land? What can you do?" is one that holds any water. When if I try and build a deck with the wrong, wrong type of screws in my backyard, the, the the city will have plenty to say about it. Uh, if I try and cut down a tree in my backyard, the city will have plenty to say about that. But I can put up a Nazi war monument. Okay, <laughs> I mean, it doesn't sound quite right, is it? Well, I was wondering, like on Bronte Road, if one of the I'm not saying this is a case of any of the the people who own land along Bronte Road, but if somebody bought land and said, "I want to start lighting crosses on my front lawn uh, from a distance," you know, are you just going to shrug your shoulders and say, "Hey, what are you going to do? Am I right?" And no, like I would expect. I would expect some action to be taken to say, no, this is not the kind of community community that we want to elicit and make public. We're not, we're not that we are not that kind of community. And that's, I, I don't, I think having this debate is going to keep pressure on and say, Hey, our, maybe, maybe people are comfortable with having this kind of thing in, in their community. And you and I are the, are the minority. But again, I think that's something that people should be aware of that that's the case. And uh, yeah. what, what does that mean? Well, it's, uh, it's certainly an interesting topic for, for week one of our podcast. And, and uh, perhaps we'll, we'll uh, follow up with it. Well, let's try and follow up with it in weeks ahead. Um, it'd be great if we could get some comment from some Voldemirs. Um, it'd be great if we got some more comment from uh, Oakville Council about this and about the, uh, the legal ins and outs of it. Uh, by all accounts, they've been aware of this for, for a few years and have been kind of sitting on it um uh well you know now it's coming to the public eye and uh certainly i, I suspect the usual expectation at, at city walls across the region uh, are that well this you know this will go away in a week and we can all go back to life as usual and uh and that's part of the problem Okay, well, I'm just looking Absolutely. at the time, and we've been talking for almost an hour, so uh, right. and this is so, a short introduction, so uh, uh, we should probably wrap it up. Um, <laughs> as I say, in future weeks, we'll have other guests, people directly connected Absolutely. with, with um, stories in the news, but hopefully this, this whets the appetite for what we uh, may be doing, and uh, appreciate everybody who's tuned into this first episode hopefully whatever glitches and uh difficulties that we're working out with the technology will uh, um be minor enough that you can still hear us and that um i'm sure these will be things that we'll get better and better better at um in the weeks ahead uh, but in the meantime uh, thanks everybody and we'll see you next week i'm matt Cundle, host of the sound off podcast the show about podcast and broadcast. Since 2016, we've been speaking with amazing people who have populated your ears for decades. Legendary broadcasters, research wizards, talent experts, podcasters, voice talent. Almost 400 stories, all for free. Subscribe or follow the Sound Off Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or at soundoffpodcast.com.